Welcome back, everybody. We are on week eight. Um, this week's episode was called Women's Work. Woohoo! A lot of women's work. And uh, <laughs> I have a... Thank here. you, Kate Bush. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I have here this week with me, uh, Kay Megan Washington. Welcome Hello. Back. Abigail Johnson is out this week. Uh, we will see her again next week. Um, and so, uh, before... We get to our uh, lovely episode. We have lots of lovely fan mail. Fan mail. Fan mail. People listen to us. Oh, thanks so much. Um, (laughs) They like us. They really like us. (laughs) Thanks so much. If you um, have written in so far this season, you can always write in. We are at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast. And uh, first and foremost, we actually got a comment from episode episode before i believe episode six mm-hmm. comment from uh, sarah about serena being um like a nazi being called a nazi and so she writes uh i recently found your podcast but i look forward to it every week you're so sweet uh mm. i just had to say that as long as a long time church goer i also had the to pause and laugh about the bomb in gilead line <laughs> you got a oh good somebody there, else sarah. somebody else uh <laughs> Yeah. It immediately reminded me of the hymn. I also thought of the Run the World song when the credits came on. Mm-hmm. I associate the Venus song with the Razor Duda commercials, as do I. <laughs> so I thought that was a weird choice. We agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I know you have talked about it a lot, but I wanted to comment on the yelling uh, Nazi at Serena scene. Uh, this is where she's at the college talking about her uh, book, A Woman's Place. Mm-hmm. She says, I don't necessarily think that Serena wrote anything about white supremacy or Nazism in her book. Instead, I think some people would use it as a derogatory term towards anyone with conservative views, especially now with actual white supremacists and Nazis in the news. I see people throwing that term around on social media all the time. Obviously, Mm. as you have said, we don't actually know what is in her book, but that is how I, I interpreted that scene. Uh, I love your in-depth discussion, and I always learn something new about each episode after I listen to you guys. Thanks for a great podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah. And Sarah also sent us a donation, so thank you so oh, much. Oh, even better. Yay. Yay. Uh, so thanks so much, Sarah, for uh, calling in. And yeah, I I totally get that perspective about how we sort of use that term as a colloquialism now. And so it is, you know, at first we took it kind of literally, but that is definitely what, in contextually, it, it could be referring to for sure. Absolutely. Um, particularly since she's suggesting um, something that would mess around with um, who gets to breed and right, who gets right. to, you know, procreate and so on and so forth. Um, and anything that sort of messes around with. Um, how things are supposed to turn out is definitely going to reach back to um, Nazis and Dr. Mengele and all of that. So, yeah. Uh, Allison B. also writes, um, listening to your episode seven recap, I'm missing why Serena's being called a Nazi. She needs to have all the same views as Nazis. Well, not ideal. So many people use Nazi as a shorthand for terrible or oppressive. So mm-hmm. same sort of as that. So thanks, Allison B. Next up, we have a uh, comment from Jeffrey T. And he is uh, speaking Ooh, of... a boy. Yay, boys, listen to our podcast. We love you. We love all of you. But um, mm-hmm. Jeffrey writes, especially speaking of Bomb and Gilead, Abigail had the major um, 
kerfuffle about how there were more handmaids killed in the bombing yes. than commanders, even though she was in uh, when Avglin, you know, was in the midst of all of the commanders when the bomb went off. And he writes, uh, your questions about how the bomb killed more than handmaids than commanders, it reminded me of the movie Valkyrie, where Tom Cruise tries to kill Hitler. Much of their plotting is about how it's not as simple as just being around a bomb. In the film, they had arranged for enough explosives to be fatal in a sealed concrete bunker, which turned out to be inadequate when the meeting was moved to the open-air conference hut. Hitler and many of his generals survived simply by having the table or a person between them and the bomb. I think the same dynamics are at play in this bombing. The location and proximity of the handmaids aren't ideal, but it's a rare target, so they have to go for it. The blast is fatal to the men right next to her, but those on the outside ends of rows who had a chance to brace themselves were shielded by a mass of bodies between them and the bomb. The handmaids on the balcony, unfortunately, had nowhere to run and only glass between them and the explosion. In Avglen slash Mayday or whoever's defense, they likely did not know the specific layout when planning the attack. Bravo, Jeffrey! What a great reference. And once you sent that, I was like, yes, that's exactly what happened. Science! (laughs) And Abigail's not here with us this week, but she did uh, send a reply to me and was like, that totally makes sense. I Mm -hmm. totally agree with that. Yeah, I I vaguely remember that movie. It was been a, a while back ago, but... Yeah, just bringing that sort of physics into play. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like such a weird, minuscule detail, but, you know, just <laughs> so many of the details of that show, you know, Abigail picked it up and questioned it, and so now we have a answer. We have a response. So. Exactly. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Uh, next up, we have um, a comment from Christine, and she writes, um, love your show. It was fun to hear you talk about my comment. We, we talked about uh, Christianity, Christian women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, last episode last couple episodes. I listen to multiple podcasts about this show, but I feel like you're all the most interesting podcasters of all. I'm listening to your podcast now on First Blood. And one thing that came to me while I was listening was how much we really, really get to see the shame that comes to both genders when patriarchy is involved. Patriarchy isn't just harmful to women, though it mostly is. It's harmful to men, too. You can see it in Fred. He has so much pressure to keep up the charade of being strong and keeping his house together, as Aunt Lydia puts it. We see that he was even tender with Serena before the takeover, and she tells him to be a man. The commanders are hardly friends. They are always measuring each other and judging each other. They truly are uh, always under his eye, the eye of their peers. No one is free in Gilead. We see Fred wrestling deeply with shame. Shame that he can't perform sexually. Shame that he can't produce an heir. Shame that he isn't worthy of Serena. Shame that he'll fail at work. He seems so deeply conflicted and like he's suffering internally, but he can't share that with anyone. Because there's no intimacy in a true uh, patriarchy. He has no true partner anymore, though he used to be before the patriarchy. I feel like his only outlet is June. With her, he doesn't need to fight for his worthiness because she belongs to him, like property. I think that's partly why he's so keen on keeping her around and getting Nick out of there. Patriarchy has made everyone its slave. Literally nobody wins. I say that with hesitation, knowing full well some people have it way better than others in a patriarchal system. The patriarchy promises to save everybody and literally harms everyone in its path. It destroys women, but it hurts men too. Sometimes the very systems we think will preserve us destroy us instead. That's why ideologies are so dangerous. 
Thank you so much, Christine. Wow, that was, yeah. that was amazing. That was a really poignant. I love that quote, no one is free in Gilead, and that is so true. And we've seen the, the threads of the punishment against uh, even high-level commanders like Putnam having his hand cut off. Mm-hmm. There was even a commander unnamed that uh, we believe is referenced to have been executed or punished in some way um, early on in the first season as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, no one is sort of out of the reach of this like very firm ideology and those that execute it. And even last episode, we uh, in First Blood, we had uh, Commander Cushing, who was definitely out for blood, mm-hmm. or I guess it was after was the episode name but yeah i mean like no one is really safe and it's you know ironic because these are the people that put the rules in place right and so it really becomes at at whose hands it becomes more severe for others or not or easier for for some others but yeah we definitely see everybody suffering in here i in that particular instance i did feel for fred but like after this episode i'm like well not Forget so that. much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not Fred. so much. I was, it's, I was um, almost changing my opinion of you, and then you ruined it. You always ruin it, Fred. He kind of does. I okay. um, it was interesting. I mean, we can talk about this much more later, but it's um, it was interesting to see where his priorities lay. Mm-hmm. Um, given the given the choice between multiple priorities, we we saw which one he chose. Um, so it's pretty clear whose side he's on. I also think that, you know, tying in with this comment that it's a great response to all of that shame and all of that emotion he's been feeling about being inadequate. And so he's taken the step to sort of reclaim that in this really big way. So all the shame and everything that he's experienced, he's now reclaiming it in sort of this big way as we see in this episode, which is pretty shitty but it is that <laughs> it, it is that vein yeah like this is harmful to uh, not only women but to the men because then it causes them to react in a very specific and very dangerous way so thanks christine thanks so much then we get to our big question from last episode <laughs> <laughs> was odette oh my god i'm gosh. sorry um no it was a really great point because it mm-hmm. made me super confused once i realized what was happening uh, or what had happened and so uh caitlin h writes in she goes long time listener first time caller here thanks um it is possible that when the names of the dead are being read aloud in little america they are not supposed to to just reflect those killed by the bombing, but a roundup of all of those killed in Gilead. Although mm. Odette's death was presumably a long time ago, she has just been a numbered photo in a binder until Moira positively identified her. Right. Therefore, announcing her death would finally be possible. I think it's reasonable to assume that any time the embassy received data about someone confirmed dead in Gilead, even if it was several years ago, they would want to share that information for any possible family or friends who had escaped to Little America. This would explain why her name is included with the handmaids who had also been identified that day. Thanks for all the work you do for bringing us a great product. Thank you so much, uh, Caitlin from Wisconsin, she writes. And uh, Brooke uh, O also wrote in and said um, sort of the same thing. You know, added her name because she was recently identified. In that case, she would have died before the war. That makes perfect sense. So thank you, Brooke and Caitlin. We're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, all of you, for making sense of our confusing questions. Tia uh, asks, does any of the artwork and features such as the porcelain dog in Serena's sitting room have any significance? Huh. 
We're going to have to look that one up. Yeah, we're going to have to look at that a lot more closely. I meant to. I just sort of... Um, I just sort of tend to think of them as, as just, you know, props or background and the, the scene folks just sort of put them together. But I, it's possible. Yeah, I uh, do remember, though, in I think it was towards the end, it might have been episode nine where uh, in season one where Serena's painting lilies and right in the market there were lilies and like it had to do with like purity and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, I mean, the, the writers are very careful with symbolism that they're very poignant about it but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have a snoop around in (laughs) scenes of (laughs) scenes of the living room because uh i think that's uh, definitely a great question so if you notice anything out there about the uh, any symbolism or any easter eggs in the set decoration which i'm sure there are um give us a holler and let us know okie dokie well moving on to episode eight whoo I mean, (laughs) I feel a lot of times we're like, this is a tough episode. Like, a lot of episodes are really tough. I mean, this is the kind of show we're watching, but... Hmm. Women's Work, I think, was an interesting title because it could have gone a lot of different ways. And Mm -hmm. the direction it went, I really wasn't expecting. And especially they sort of threw in that um, character in there with the uh, top neonatal doctor. Yes. And I just, I just really loved that piece. And to just sort of have this mix of somebody else like sort of re- regaining a little bit of their like former life, like their former mm-hmm. power and agency. And then at the end to have it all sort of like stripped away again, like how quickly that turned over. Because in the beginning, you know, Uh, we open and they're like listening to records in the office (laughs) and uh, June's uh, voiceover is back and you know she says you know in a previous life we would have been colleagues but right now we're heretics Mm because we're reading and writing and we're not allowed to and she asks Serena uh, do you miss working and I feel like uh, you know there are um, women out there you know especially after being out in the out of the workforce for some time um, after having a family you know, this does come up uh, for a lot of people. And Serena just says, you know, it was a necessary sacrifice to be mm-hmm. right with God. But I truly detest knitting. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was such a great humanizing. It was. It was. Because she knits all the time. Yeah, it was sort of a robotic <laughs> answer initially. But that was that part was sincere. Um. And they're really developing their relationship in like a meaningful way mm-hmm. because we saw how they tried to develop it in like a very forced way after, you know, the pregnancy scare and Serena was being very overbearing and, and trying too hard, one mm-hmm. would argue. And so now this is like a, a, an actual sort of back and forth. Uh, June tells Serena that she's a good writer. Right. And we know that... Uh, Public speaking and writing is, you know, really strong in Serena's skill sets. We find out that Fred is going to come home the next day. So yes. we're like, oh, well, this little game can't continue anymore. <laughs> and so Fred comes home and he's very gracious to the staff. It is this sort of like different. And I was trying to figure out if it was a veneer or if it was something really internal, maybe something fundamental had kind of changed. Well, he almost died. Yeah. Um, And he's still not quite right. He was, he was limping. He was groaning, Mm -hmm. you know, every time he took a step. He's still not right. But I think the, 
to go back to what Christine said, he has to put up that facade because if he doesn't, um, if you show any weakness, somebody else is going to come in and, and take his power away from mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he probably checked himself out of the hospital rather earlier than he should have. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, nearly getting blown up mm. would probably change your mindset about a lot of things. Yeah, and it is that weird, I want to say weird appreciation, like you should appreciate those who work for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very gracious to the staff with Rita, and Eden gives him a present, and even, you know, very not creepy, I guess. I mm-hmm. mean, of course he can't be, but there seems to be like a genuine, like, expression of care for even when he sees Alfred. Mm-hmm. And then so they go to the office and you see like Serena's laid everything out. She's really been this conduit and he's like, thanks. Bye. And like kicks her out of the office. Yeah, that was that was amazing watching him just shut the door in her face. Oh yeah. Um, but the thing that I thought was interesting was that he was aware to a certain extent of what she was doing. Yeah. So he was aware that she was, um, because the only way she could get information from him to the rest of the council would be for her to write it down. Right. So he was aware that she was breaking the rules Mm -hmm. because he couldn't do it himself. But the assumption was, that, you know, when he was back and everything was okay, that he would take back that mantle. Um, sort of like during World War Two when, you know, it was yeah. okay for the, the women to Rosie be building. Rivers. Yeah, to be building ships and, and working. And then the men came back and was like, okay, back you Bye. go. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for your service. Yeah. And now go back and bake cookies. That's truly what happened. Or, or knit in in Serena's <laughs> case, poor Go thing. Serena needs to go on Ravelry. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. I that was the part that that surprised me. I really thought that this was something she was doing entirely behind his back. But now mm. I realize it, it couldn't be right. And the moment where you sort of realize that Serena's expectations were greater than actually played out because she's been such a great, you know, help in all of the matters of state and she's done a really good job. Mm-hmm. And for her to sort of just be kicked out and be like, thanks, you know, see ya. And I think she's maybe had an expectation that she would be more involved from here on out. Or or at least during the transition while right. he continued to heal at home. Yeah. Um, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've got set up. Let's uh, keep this going. And then as you get stronger, more and more of it will go back to you. And that will be that. So, yeah, that was that was sort of heartbreaking, actually. Mm-hmm. This whole episode, I think, is super heartbreaking for Serena. And I always talk about how humanizing uh, they, Ivan Strahovski and the writers make Serena Joy, even though she's such a, a conflicted character. Like, she's such a problematic character. She really you is. You feel so much for her. And I think that's some of the point. You're like, gosh, I recognize all of these feelings through you. Like, I don't agree with your ideology. Hmm. But also, between last episode and here, we see a lot of her ideology cracking. 
And I'm interested to see where that's really going to lead us. Well, I think to a certain extent, and, you know, no, don't want to go too far ahead yet, but I think in that one discussion that she had with Fred later in the episode in his office, it becomes clear that what her priorities are with regard to this setup are not the same as what his priorities are right. with regard to this setup. Right. I, I I don't think that she was aware of just where what he found to be most important. Right. Um, it was it was really very sad. And because they have uh, Serena and Alfred have really sort of developed this genuine relationship now. When Alfred goes back to her room, there's like a thank you gift, and the music box yeah. is back that was originally given to her, mm-hmm. and a rose from Serena's garden. Like, very sincere. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're they've they've really developed something nice here. And then we cut to uh, Eden and Nick, and Eden again is trying so hard. She really is. <laughs> Poor thing. So she's so she's so fifteen. Yes. You know what colors do you like? And he's like, whatever. I like yellow. Yellow's so bright and cheerful. Okay, let's do yellow. Okay. Okay. And 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 it really struck me though how like obviously like we're shipping or I'm shipping personally Mm -hmm. June and Nick, you know, because they had a great thing going. Now seeing the inner workings of this dynamic between Nick and Eden, we're like, we understand why you don't want to spend time with her because you're in love with June. Mm -hmm. However, like, it's super sad because she's, like, alone most of the day. And the only person she really has to talk to is, like, Rita. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Rita... Who was not exactly an open book. (laughs) Rita was like, God help me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's just, like, so full of Eden. Get some more more honey because Eden borrowed it and I may never see it again. God help me. Yeah. I I love her. Made Uh, me wonder what she was doing with the honey, though. Huh. That was not a vis. That was not a visual I needed. All right, Uh, never mind. I don't think they've really gotten that kinky. No, but why would she borrow it? I'm sure just to like you know put it in tea or let's let's keep it as part of her personal pantry in her home. Let's hope so. Because ew. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, it's truly sad how alone she is. She is. Oh, man. Sorry um, to laugh at you, Eden girl. Well, oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. And then, you know, he, she cleans the house up and she's trying to make it more homey because it was okay for him to be living over the garage, mm-hmm. um, before he got married, but this is now their, their marital home. And, um, and then the letters reappear. Oh, man. We are back with the letters. I have a big problem with that scene, and it's not the writing. It's really with Nick. For the first time, I actually have a problem with Nick. And I was like, oh, that's not cool. And when he threatens her, he legitimately threatens her and uses his power as her husband over her. I, I think that he wanted to make it clear just how important it was that she not touch his stuff. I think he was really spooked by the fact that she found the letters and moved them. True. And um, 
it, it was so cute. It was like, no, of course I didn't. And you know, of course she didn't because right. she's been raised that even if you see print, you just don't read it. She may not, in fact, know how to read. But yeah, I, I can see why you would, since you love Nick I so do. much. I do. I did not love him um, so much in this episode. His sort of hulking over her and, Ooh, you know, you you will do this and listen to me because I say so and I'm in charge of you. And she actually called him sir. Oh, and that I was like, mm, that mm, that does not feel good. And oh. and not in a fun, kinky way. No. <laughs> Sorry, your mind is today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still fixated on that, honey. Ooh, ooh. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. That was, this was not a good moment for Nick. Not, this episode was like, a, I think, a huge commentary. You know, Christine, I believe, was the one that was talking about patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And about how, you know, Nick is, I believe, a character, an a all-around good guy, but he chose in this moment the power he knew he had and exercised it, no matter what his motivations are, because his motivations are yeah. totally valid, because yep. he's protecting a lot of people yeah. with those letters. And uh, so that just, you know, directs, uh, cor- uh, correlates directly to that, that it's inescapable, this sort of, you know power when you give someone this power no matter how good of a person they are like they're going to use that to their advantage when it suits them right and it's not a good look it isn't sad face so we get to the major thing about this entire episode is that baby angela is not well and baby angela has to be taken to the ambulance and we see um the handmaids out going to the store and they're more tightly guarded than ever before i think every Mm -hmm. pair almost i think has a guardian export escort Mm -hmm. um, i noticed and uh i believe it seems like janine is june's new partner considering all glenn is no longer with us yeah i am I wasn't clear whether she was her partner or whether she was just bouncing up to her typical Janine style. I I don't know that they would put them back together Mm -hmm. given their history. Their history. It may be. I mean, they know that June sort of knows how to handle Janine, so it could be advantageous. That's a possibility, yeah. And they did kind of walk back together towards the end of that scene. So maybe. They have this uh, really cute exchange. We always talk about things like, you know, pre-Gilead you're not supposed to talk about. But uh, she greets her, June greets her with a standard greeting. And Janine was like, may the force be with you. I mean, I don't know, what do you want from me? And then they start talking about referencing the movie Alien. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just this, you know, really cute exchange that I love. I thought the sequel was better. <laughs> wrong. You're wrong. And they're in a new shop. I don't understand what happened to the grocery store. Maybe scarcity? They're not able to fill the grocery store? Because this is the second time we've seen this particular market. That, that looks like a farmer's market type right, thing. Right, a little more rustic. I, I don't know. That's a good question. Or maybe mm-hmm. they were just hoping we wouldn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just redesign it. And uh, because, you know, when I read the books, that's what I mostly imagined it to be, more rustic, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, repurposing the grocery store obviously makes sense, but... If they're having problems with scarcity, which I know, you know, resources are scarce, Mm -hmm. uh, that could definitely be an issue for sure. 
Um, and then there's this whole exchange between the handmaids, particularly Emily and uh, Janine, because Janine was like, oh, my posting's great. I don't have to give anyone a blowjob. And we're <laughs> like, sweetheart, you never had to do that. Like, what is wrong with you? And Emily comes in and she's like still pretty fired up. Like, she's still pretty bitter and she's very... Um, what is that word? You know, like ready to fight someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's just like ready to fight someone. And she was like, being a rapist is not a blessing, you know? And uh, June kind of comes to her defense and Emily kind of retorts back, like, you know, anyone who helps this regime in any form deserves to die. And so that puts Alfred sort of like in a reflective point because she's like, well, I'm helping Serena, but helping Serena, isn't it like, for the greater good. But then that's when, like, here we start to explore where the lines get crossed. Right. And she addresses it in her uh, voiceover, in her monologue, you know, this is what Gilead does to you. They force you to kill within yourself. Mm-hmm. And that things that you normally find super unacceptable, according to current circumstances, you have to sort of make these decisions and these concessions. And so whom is it really serving? Yeah, I think she had been focusing on the subversive aspect of what they were doing more than the we are covering for Fred aspect of it, which is helping to, you know, move the machine forward. Um, I don't know that she had thought about it that deeply until Emily brought it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so now Angela is in the hospital with what sounds like failure to thrive, honestly. Yeah. Um, or colic, the vomiting right. and the losing weight and the lethargy and a lot of that. I mean, it's not direct. I mean, they do reference it often, but we haven't seen, you know, a, a good example of it until now. But, you know, of the women that are able to uh, conceive and get pregnant, mm-hmm. of those women, an even smaller percentage have a healthy birth. And then right. a small, a smaller percentage of those women, uh, it is sort of talked about those babies do not live through their infancy. So right. we're, we're thinking that, you know, of the babies born, mortality is fairly high, which is really sad to talk about. But that's mm-hmm. really, you know, the subject matter of this episode. And there are still countries all over the world where infant mortality is fairly Very high. Very high. Here, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's higher than it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Off she goes, and poor Janine is completely freaking out. Yeah. I I felt really bad for Janine that scene, but, like, we knew the kind of reaction that Janine would have. And the fact that Angela's baby was the one that got sick, we're like, okay, this is obviously going to create a problem because there's already a lot of tension between Janine and the Putnams, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much that's happened between them. And uh, Serena goes to Offred and was like, well, we do have this top doctor, but we'd have to bend the rules. So we're like, okay. So we get the gist that like the doctor is a woman. And mm-hmm. so Serena's thinking about bringing her in in order to benefit baby Angela, even though it's against the rules obviously and offer kind of encourages serena was like well i would do whatever i needed to do you know to save this baby and so i think this episode does a great job about like what is the the priority of the women in this episode mm-hmm. working towards and then what was the true pi- priority of, of everybody else right mainly the commanders and the men mm-hmm Serena does go to Fred and asks him, you know, to get uh, approval for a transfer. And we find out this top neonatologist, pre-Gilead, is now a Martha. And Fred goes, well, we cannot question the will of God. We'll manage with 
the doctors that we have. That that the rules are more important than the life, making sure that we can do everything in our in our possible power to make sure we can help this child. Well, not just the rules, but the the patriarchal hierarchy right. is more important to him. Maintaining that is more important to him than what is supposed to be, supposed, I'm making air quotes here, to be um, the point of all this, which is to improve the birth rates um, of healthy babies. And so what Serena is thinking about, her priority is, this is a baby. We need to keep this baby alive. We need to save it. And whatever it is that we need to do, if we've got somebody who we know can possibly fix this baby, we need to use that person to do that. Even if that person happens to be a Martha at the moment. Yeah. Fred's priority is no, she's a Martha, and thus, and and you know, and a woman, and thus she cannot lay hands on this baby. So if the baby has to die, then oh well, it must be the will of God. Right. That made me very unhappy. Yeah, I mean, that was um, sort of the first inkling. I was like, ooh, I mean, that's real harsh, being kind of a dick there. But I mean, it is also. I question what is his true power right now? Is he the head honcho of Gilead? Because he Commander Price might is gone. Be. They Price got rid is of, gone. They got rid of Cushing. They got rid of Cushing. He's probably dead at this point because he was arrested for um, apostasy and, and <laughs> yeah. whatever else. That sounds they like a hanging. That sounds yeah. like a hanging offense to me. So um, he, if he's not at the top, he's pretty close. I just also wonder, like, you know, you, they ha- they can approve these transfers, as it say. So approve, like, this Martha coming from her home to go into the hospital where she doesn't belong. So it looks like they really tightly control the traffic of people, mm-hmm. obviously. And so I, you know, from a governance standpoint, if you're enforcing the rules and you make sort of these exceptions, then, you know theory is okay well then does it snowball from there but really the point of it is is like there's this person that can help this baby you know is that not what is the most important and after that serena is like sitting in the kitchen is like you know fred didn't go for it and offred brings up that you know that janine um wants to see the baby so they're trying to arrange if Janine um, can see Angela, because mm-hmm. um, Angela's really not doing well. And Serena goes to ask the Putnams, and of course, like, <laughs> Mrs. Putnam is like, fuck no. You, you <laughs> want me to me. let the woman who stood on a bridge holding my baby, <laughs> threatening to jump off, and told the world that she had been screwing my husband outside of, you know, when she was supposed to be, you want me to let her come within an inch of this baby. Yeah. That's yeah, going to be a hard sell sure, there, no. Serena. That was going to be a hard sell. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's a super huge fan of Mrs. Putnam. If you are, I, <laughs> why? But um, <laughs> other than her one redeeming she's, feature she's, is when uh, Commander Putnam went to trial and was like, your wife vouched for you and said, we should give you the harshest possible punishment. <laughs> and I was like... 
That is one petty bitch right there. Yeah, she I, is. I can respect that. I can give you that. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but Commander Putnam agrees and was like, what harm can it do? So he's, he's you know, being compassionate. and so Well, when, and he probably wants to see Janine. Well, I don't know. With his wife there, I mean, Mrs. Putnam is just so like, ah, you know, that feeling. Like, I feel like he'd be so uncomfortable if like them two in the same room and him Mm -hmm. would be around. I think that would be real uncomfortable. Well, Aunt Lydia comes in with Janine and Aunt Lydia sort of has this moment with June, like chastising her. And I'm like, this is why we don't tell the handmaids when their babies are sick, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're still attached. You're you're the mother. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter, you know, whom these uh, children, you know, Gilead says that they belong to. And she's like, I'm holding you personally responsible if this breaks Janine, because it very might well could be. Because we know we Janine's, know Janine's pretty deal. broken already. We know Janine's deal, <laughs> right? And uh, so June's confident. She's like, no, I'll, I'll hold myself responsible. But she feels really strongly about this friendship and caring about Janine and making sure, you know... Janine has this like dignity afforded to her mm-hmm. to say to see her child say goodbye to her, to her child. child. Yeah. So, so June is really coming from a pure place of like you know this is my friend and I love her and this is like the right thing to do. And the fact that all of these things are happening first and foremost, like you know that they allowed her to come. And, the, uh, you know, Aunt Lydia is there. They've orchestrated this whole deal. And then they've orchestrated for the neonatologist to come. I don't think we, uh, I did not write down her name. But um, I don't know if they gave us her I'm not name. Sure. Um, the one doctor was talking about having met her back in 2012 at this conference that she presented at. But I don't know that he actually ever said her name. I think they mentioned it once. I'll have to rewind and, and uh, look it up. But. That was such this whole this whole scene of her coming in and transitioning from like Martha back into like being a doctor. Mm-hmm. I, I loved all the pieces of that because you mm-hmm. saw her entire emotional and thought process mm-hmm. <laughs> because they really didn't tell her why she was coming. She was like, no. why am I here? And uh, they don't they didn't tell her anything. And so, you know, even all of the small things like putting the lab coat on mm-hmm. and like getting the diagnosis and stuff like that. And she was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And they're like, they're like, be a doctor, mm-hmm. like please. She was like, okay. Well, I'm going to need to examine her. And she, and he handed her the stethoscope. Yes. And, that was um, a moment. You can, you yeah. Can, fabulous acting. My, um, I'll have to look at the actor's name. I just, I just loved seeing that whole journey with her. Mm-hmm. I was with her. I was like, yeah. And, and again, I referenced in the beginning of this episode, like, you know, this is a person who was obviously the top neonatologist in the world, trained the mentor of the doctor that's treating Angela mm-hmm. currently, speaking of conferences and so forth. And, you know, now she is a Martha, you know, enslaved to be, a, you know, a housemaid for a commander. And now they've given you know, this piece of her, her life back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, we saw that in the at last episode with Serena having that little piece of her life back. Right. You know, the things that are in her forte, the things that she's good at. And obviously June also, you know, that was her profession. And 
and just sort of this cycle of like getting people the taste of what it's like you know now that we've been in this world for however many number of years i think it's we say it's between three and four years now you know what that old feeling is like Mm -hmm. and the comparison between the two and uh I just love, like, she immediately started rattling off. I'm like, I can't even Various tests. Yeah, all those tests that she, Mm -hmm. you know, she uh, ordered and, you know, needing to monitor, you know, certain lab tests and reading these exams and things like that. And I was like, wow, what a great moment for her. (laughs) But also kind of nerve-wracking because, you know, it's, you know, this is a very rare, maybe the only time this has ever happened Mm -hmm. ever since Gilead that someone, a woman, primarily a woman a woman of color Mm -hmm. you know who was the top neonatologist is you know just having to cook and clean every day Mm -hmm. and uh and to bring her back i mean i'm sure that was shocking but she was like okay well let's get to work and she does it she just goes into it actually just for the one moment the there was this one moment that was really wonderful and i know we we talk about the the amazing marvel that is Anne Dowd, Aunt Lydia. But there was that one moment where it it was clear through the glass that things were not going well mm-hmm. with the baby. And Janine started to break down. And what popped out of Aunt Lydia's mouth was, oh, my darling. Oh. And I said, oh. 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 And, you know, just, which is just a normal, you know, if somebody is is falling apart like that because their child may be dying, that's a completely normal, like, best friend kind of thing to say or mom thing to say. And for that to just, you know, we know she has these softening moments, particularly with regard to Janine. Yeah, she has a soft spot for She absolutely does. But that was just, it, it, it sort of tumbled out of her mouth before she could stop it, mm-hmm. I think. It was, it, it was, it was just, a, it was a, that tiny second right there. But it was just such a human moment for her. I continue to love her humanizing moments, and I hope mm-hmm. it continues down that path <laughs> where we just get just more and more compassion out of Aunt Lydia. I mean, we definitely know how very cruel and strict she can be, but I, I, I adore those moments. I can never get enough of them. And, you know, Anne Dowd is just a marvel at her, at her work. Um, we get this really strange scene where, you know, now, now that I'm going to bring up this scene, now your comment makes sense from before uh fred visits offred's room and offred's not there mm-hmm. and we're like why are you what what are you doing there i don't think he knew i don't think he knew they weren't home right he's been in his office since he got back mm-hmm. and so i don't th- honestly don't think he knew she wasn't there i think he was coming up to, to check in i think it was more like you were saying like oh um you know fred is still like you know, wants to get it on with June. Oh, yeah. Or no, I think you were talking about Putnam, maybe. Well, I was talking about Putnam and Janine, but uh, yeah, yeah, but this same is thing. this is same thing. Same it thing. It is. So, you know, it's like, because the last time he was home before he got blown up, he was up there feeling her up. So, um, so it was reasonable that he would, he would pop up there. You know, I've been in the office too long. I'm going to, you know, get a little mm-hmm. relaxation here. Um, and she wasn't there, and... He's, like, confused. 
And he got to looking around at stuff. Yeah. Wait, why is the music box up here? Mm-hmm. Wait, Answering why is there a rose up here? Starting to put two and two together. Let me yeah. maybe look through stuff a little more closely. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a slightly odd scene. I mean, I honestly expected him to open a drawer and start sniffing her underwear. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was just, it was just creepy. The way he opened the door right. was like, knock, knock, and like opened it with his cane, you know, hey. It was, it oh my was just, uh, he's just so creepy. He's so creepy. And we're going to skip from Angela for a second because, you know, she's like, you know, not a good prognosis, but that changes. And so I think that, you know, we've built up this entire episode to like whether baby Angela's going to live or not. Mm-hmm. And we find out, like, the true climax of the episode is this scene in Fred's office with June and Serena. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I don't even have words. Like, that was a true pause of, like, I don't know what to say. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting because when they come home from the hospital, and um, this is after they know the prognosis is not good, like, uh, the baby is most likely going to die, and they let... Um, Janine come in and hold the baby and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like wiped. And so Nick comes in and tells them that, you know, Fred wants to see them. And you can, and you can see the fear. Mm-hmm. And it came up, I think, once before in the episode around Fred where there, there was this like fear. And that's weird because that's never really happened before, I want to say. Like definitely June's been afraid of, of him, I think. Mm-hmm. But like on a like, you know, you're going to find out my secret unless like, yeah, there was just like a strange fear there with Serena and June when it came to Fred that I've never really seen before. Especially Serena. Mm-hmm. Serena's like never afraid of Fred. No, because typically she's more or less in charge of him. Yeah. Um, this was an unknown sort of moment for her. She had no idea what it was that he was going to say other than that he was probably going to not be happy mm-hmm. About what they'd been doing. I mean, she had to know that he was going to find out that she called the neonatologist. Yeah. Um, At the very least that. Yeah. I mean, people were there. People Mm -hmm. saw them. The word was going to get back to him. Right. Even if it was just that Putnam called him and Mm -hmm. said, hey, Fred, thanks so much, you know, for for doing the best you could for our child. She's probably not going to live anyway, but thank you so much for, for calling the doctor out and breaking the rules to, to he, help He was going to find out no matter what. Yeah, so, and now it's just a matter of, okay, so how mad is he going to be? Can I talk him around this? Right, because they're so, usually so good at talking around him and getting their way mm-hmm. that, you know, and Serena was like, just let me handle this, right? And so they get in there and, you know, he confronts her about forging his signature on the transfer. She's like, but you, you let me do all this other stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and just sort of really like reasoning with him. Like, okay, like this is, this is fine. This is not a big deal. Trying to talk her way out of it, you know. And, and, what, mm-hmm. and that the most important thing here was to save the baby. You know, I did it for the baby. Mm-hmm. The baby needed the help. And so I, I got her the help because that's the most important thing. And it is not, we find out, the most important thing to Fred. Yeah. She's like, what greater duty is there? And he was like, to your husband. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like we really get to the crux of, 
you know, we explore lots of different things in this series and we talk mm-hmm. a gamut of like lots of different issues. But when it like comes down to the core, like even fertility aside, like they're putting a stake in the ground. Fred is putting a stake in the ground that what really matters most here is that the commander's word and the submission of the women to the men. Mm-hmm. And if you like, we know that, but it's like every once in a while, the show reminds us like, really, like, really, this is what happens when this is what you enforce mm-hmm. this patriarchal society that is so rigid that does not even allow the best doctor in, you know, in their area or in the world, the best doctor in the world to, uh, you know, look at a sick baby that you say is so important. You know, you have subjugated all of the women so that you can procreate mm-hmm. because it is God's will that we all procreate and fulfill our biological duties to God. That's what you're saying. <laughs> all of that is secondary to those men in power staying in power and that their word not be undermined. Yep. It made it real clear to Serena if she wasn't already aware that that is what his priority is. And we have seen throughout this season, you know, the sort of agency that people have sort of afforded themselves or found, you know, a ways to to have more freedoms. And this was really like the tipping point where it was like they took the step too far. And this is where it's brought them. And this scene just really like, I mean, like, <laughs> I can't even talk. It's, he says he blames himself and is like, and now we have to make amends. And he asked for, like, forgive me, darling. And I'm like, really? Like, you really have to do this? And the way they laid the scene out, when she puts her hands on the chair, I'm like, oh, he's just going to, like, slap her hands. Well, that's shitty. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, see what he really does. And we're just like, oh, man. There have been, a, we've seen a lot of awful things on this show. Mm-hmm. And that ranks kind of in the top of them. I think there are things that are worse. But yeah. I... I mean, we have rapes. We have ritual rapes on this show on a regular basis. But that's sort of built into the system. Mm-hmm. I won't say that that's what the handmaids signed up for because they didn't sign up for it. Um, they signed up for it under coercion, right? essentially, um, do this or die. But that's at least, you know, built into the system and people kind of know that that's, what ex- that's what's expected of them. I don't think Serena ever thought that she was going to be in a situation where she was going to be so much below her husband to whom she had been a partner, even as someone who was supposed to be submissive to him. She was still his partner for him to treat her essentially like a small recalcitrant child. That is who you beat with a belt, is, is a child who's done something that they're not supposed to do. And as they're the person in charge of them, you have to discipline them severely to make sure that they don't do it again. Um, because my thought was, if you're blaming yourself for putting too much on her, why are you beating her? Right. I, and the fact I, that, like, June is there and, ha- and like, he forces June to watch. Like, the mm-hmm. whole thing is just so sadistic. And, yeah. And the whole scene afterwards just, 
Ivan Strahovski in this show is a marvel. I think there was an article that came out recently that was like, she's like the most underappreciated sh- sh- person on this show. Her performance was like, no, we appreciate we we appreciate her, performance. her Trust a me. great deal. Yes. I yeah, just that entire scene killed me. Of like, just she's really broken down. This is you know the lowest that you know she's probably ever been in her life. You know to be demoralized like this by her husband in front of June, it's, I I don't think he's ever laid a hand on her. This might be the first time. I would argue that. I think he's, I think, I think he slapped her once in, in season one. Oh, maybe. I don't remember the circumstances, but it was, it was really more of a, like a quick backhand kind of deal. Certainly nothing like this. Yeah, no. I just... (laughs) It also, though, like, Mm -hmm. all those little marks in the Bible, like, Mm -hmm. where they have, that he had, I'm wondering. the little stickies. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know how you earmark things? I'm wondering if, like, all of those things have, like, a specific, like, this is, you know, prescribed, like, do 16 Hail Marys. You know what I mean? Like, that version of that. I think that, yeah, because he went and and grabbed it and opened it to a specific section and was reading out loud. So, um, and she certainly knew what it was that she was supposed to do Mm -hmm. because it wasn't like he was telling her, okay, put your hands on the chair and bend over. She She just went ahead and did it. Hmm. I'd argue that it's the first time he's done that specific punishment to her. Right. But But she's probably Since she helped him write everything, she probably knows that that's what's supposed to happen. And then... Offred comes in, you know, to the door and she knows that Serena's suffering is like, can I do anything for you? Because in uh, one of the previous episodes, that's what Eden says. And mm-hmm. uh, Serena's like, I wish Offred could be like that. So sweet and helpful. Right. So she, that's a callback to that scene. You know, can I do anything for you? And, and she's really upset that Serena is suffering like this. Mm-hmm. And she gets that look in her eye. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she goes to Fred and like, I just wanted to apologize, trying to sweet talk him, getting trying to get into the office so they can be alone and she can sort of work her, her usual voodoo magic on him. And he shuts her out. Mm-hmm. And so I think that moment go she to, has... Go to bed for the baby's sake. Right. Um, so this is a turning point for all of them, Fred specifically. And also, you know, there's that beautiful cinematography of, you know, June, like, on that tile, that circle. Carrie Skolan, she has a thing for circles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The director of this episode. And uh, that, I was trying to figure out what that was, but I guess that's, like, hopelessness and really, you know, this desperation. Like, she has tried everything that she knows how to do right now, and none of it has worked. Well, and... He was always her backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worst case scenario, if she needed something to happen, she could come and sweet talk Fred. Mm-hmm. And she can no longer do that. Right. He is, he's let her know that at least for now, he sees her as the vessel bearing his child and to hell with the rest of you. Right. Um, there was a moment I, that we skipped over that I thought was speaking of, of 500 different emotions going across somebody's face at once. When he asked June if the handwriting 
it's one thing it's mm-hmm. one thing for his wife yeah to break the rules yeah she's just a handmaid mm-hmm. when he asked june if the handwriting on the draft was hers and she didn't know how to respond and there was a close to a full minute of her opening and closing her mouth and swallowing and mm-hmm. um trying to figure out what she was going to say and then finally said yes sir and went on from there. And he didn't even respond to that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of the things that was interesting was that he didn't beat both of them. Mm-hmm. He didn't address her transgression at all. He, like, basically put all of it on Serena. Because Serena was well, the one. Well, I don't... I hmm, That, I think, was what she was trying to assess. Right. When she came back was... Hey, are you mad at me? Mm-hmm. You know, I was just I was just following orders mm-hmm. type thing. I I wonder whether he's got something else in store for her because yeah. arguably her transgression was worse. Yeah, that's like a lose your hand kind of dealio or, or, or worse or like worse. died. Right. Dead. So, I mean, you know, Offlin said I don't want to stone this person to death and got her tongue cut out. Yeah. Um, so I, the very fact that it's, it's like, you know, going back to the parent analogy, if you're going to treat, you know, all the women like helpless little children who don't have the sense to do anything, what scares you more when your parents punish you or when they don't say anything to you and just walk away? Right, right, right. So I think that may have been part of what was going through her head as she was, as the, all the words were getting garbled and mm-hmm. she was kind of falling down in the hallway is, okay, I'm not forgiven here for doing this under Serena's yeah. influence. Um, he's not speaking to me. I could really be in some doo-doo here. Yeah, for sure. So um, we shall see. But... Yeah. At least we end on a high note. We do, sweet baby Angela. And for some reason, she miraculous, miraculously uh, recovers. And we see Janine there holding her. And just everyone is so excited and, like, happy mm-hmm. that this, you know, this has happened. So it's just a really sweet moment. You know, you know Janine's been through a lot. And baby Angela's been through a lot. <laughs> now, am I the first, am I the only person who, when, um initially i looked down and saw her handmade robes and her wimple and everything on the ground and her sitting on the window ledge am i the only person that thought maybe she was going to jump out with that baby it wasn't until it wasn't until they panned around right right and and she was sitting there in her in her underwear with mm-hmm. her hair down, holding the baby yeah. and giggling and laughing with her. I thought for I, a second I she thought was like, she was going out the window. I thought she was just naked. And I was like, Janine, this is not a time to be naked, girl. But no, they have like her under mm-hmm. things on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was really cute. I liked, uh, I liked that little scene to sort of lift it. And, um, and singing the Bay City Rollers. Yeah. How old is Janine that she knows the <laughs> Bay City Rollers? Well, she also is, is she's a fan of Bob Marley. I think that's also in her repertoire, right. you know, of things to sing. You know, we did, um, we're, we're trying to end on a happy note, but I just looked down on my notes and I remembered that uh, in June's voiceover 
the last voiceover in the episode, you know, she says this quote that is uh, I've heard many times, you know, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Mm -hmm. And women are afraid that men will kill them. Yeah. And, you know, she said, you know, I had hope, you know, thought that there were still safe places in the cracks and crevices of this society that mm -hmm. even though things are this bleak like you you still can find these moments these these spaces where you can like exist as a you know your own person you know mm -hmm. and you know that's all sort of come crashing down for them so that's really sad and um but it's it's also very true mm -hmm. your standard typical man is not afraid that a woman is going to kill them. Yeah. It doesn't ever cross their minds on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. It crosses the minds of most women. I mean, probably not men. They Well, here's the interesting thing. We're taught to be afraid of the men that we don't know when it's mm -hmm. the men that we know that are more likely to kill us. But um, <laughs> if we think about that, we couldn't live with them on a day-to-day -day basis. So, yeah. um but yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely true and I I think that probably went through it certainly went through June's head and it may at least briefly have towards the end there have gone through Serena's. What is he going to do to me? I think this journey of Fred getting more and more dangerous very slowly is concerning to me because we get mm -hmm. glimpses like there was the scene where he like shot that woman. That was the first time we saw him do something like that, murder someone mm -hmm. in uh, cold blood. And, uh, then, and that was years ago. Yeah. And then now this, and we see that he's a changed person. We are not super sure what his motivations are currently, but we do know that his priority is to himself and his word being followed, especially now in his household, where before he didn't really pay no mind, you know. So it's very concerning to me about the future, like, dangerous capacity that Fred has. I wonder, honestly, because this happens to people not infrequently. Mm -hmm. They have a near-death experience, and it makes them more religious mm, yeah yeah um i was saved by the grace of whatever deity you believe in and therefore i am going to dedicate my life more strongly to following that deity's word yeah and fred has never i don't know that fred has ever particularly taken this completely seriously yeah um and i think he may think that that's why he almost got blown up Mm -hmm. And so it's mm -hmm. like, okay, the, I am going to stick to things, stick to the letter of the law now going forward. And um, I don't think that he has clued in the rest of the people in his life about that. Right. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a great <laughs> point. I think, yeah. They Absolutely. know now. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he did not say, hey, guys, I have had this near-death experience <laughs> and I, I, I think it has changed me. And I really think that we all need to be much more careful and meticulous about the way that we follow the word of God from here on in. We've been a he, little lax around here. Yeah. 
Yes, this journey is going to be very interesting. Um, episode uh, nine, the preview is already out on uh, Hulu, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to get to Canada. So Fred and Serena are going to Canada. So oh, I missed that. They're going to be going to Canada next week. So we're going to have lots to talk about. Um, thank you, everyone, for who sent us comments. Uh, I love you, I love you, I love you for sending in comments. Uh, if you'd like to send us a donation to help us with our costs that kind of creep up when doing this podcast, uh, <laughs> the link is coffee.com slash the handmaid's podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash the handmaid's podcast. Thanks so much for being here with us again, Kay. And thank we will you, ma'am. see you next week along with Abigail and... thanks so much for joining us for another fabulous week at the handmaids podcast our logo is designed by jelko stracall our music is by bensound.com and we record in the look on media studios in downtown baltimore maryland see you next week (laughs) 